This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's Catalog and Cocktails presented by Data.World. We are coming from you live uh, from Austin, Texas. I'm here, but where the heck is Tim? If uh, you're watching us right now, you're seeing that there's an empty screen right there where Tim should be. And I understand that he got locked out of the office right now. But uh, hey, we always do this live at 4 p.m. So if Tim's not here, the show must go on. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at data.world. And it's always a pleasure to have Catalan cocktails. It's Wednesday, middle of the week towards the end of the day, and we are that honest, no BS, non-salesy data podcast. And I'm kind of trying to make some space and get Tim to go here, but I don't know. Uh, Tim will join us in any second right now, but for now, let me go introduce you to our guests today. Our guests are Gabby Steele and Leah Wise, who are co-founders at Prequel. Gabby, Leah, how are you all doing? We're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I don't know where the heck Tim is, but uh, I think this is the first. I think we said this is like a hundred fourth episode, and I think it's the first one that we're doing it without Tim. I kind of feel a little bit guilty right now, uh, and uh, he's still locked outside of the conference room. But, <laughs> anyways, uh, Tim, if you're are you listening to us at least, you should be a live uh, listener right now. But. <laughs> Anyways, let's kick it off. Uh, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Yeah, we're excited to be. I think Tim rushed away to get a drink, actually, and that's what has delayed us today. But, Leah, what are you drinking? Okay, let me get prepared here. So I, I shared with this crew earlier, it's not very exciting, but I, I do have COVID, so I've lost my sense of taste and smell. So I'm going to do a little live experiment. I have a sour beer. And are you are, are you a sour fan or you're like trying to I love sour she is. and I'm that like I'll be able to detect it but it's unclear. All right, so we're live experiment right now. Go taste it see what it tastes like. Yeah, what is it just just bubbles or are we getting something? I am getting a little sour. I mean that's probably as much as I should drink but uh yeah, the, at that's least you tried it. Valiant yeah. 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 At least the covid's going away. It's a, it's, it's a good sign. I'll check back in on it tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> how about you gabby i so now i'm feeling like i should have also done a sour beer because we've got some in the office i'm in the office drinking um peach sparkling water from our bevy machine that we love very much um but it's it's late in the day not late enough to to go but i didn't know that you were doing the sour beer leah we, i think we have some really nice oh tim, tim. tim. And right on <laughs> i made it this, this is truly, this is truly honest, no BS. Was it worth it? Yeah. This is a long show, everybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, room. I can't believe it. It locks. <laughs> so what are you drinking, Tim? I am trying to relive the days of summer with this summer bliss New Belgium beer here. I'm longing for those very hot Austin days. No, not really. I'm actually loving fall, but this is a great beer. <laughs> And I'm having, I've made this up. It is, uh, this is a, it's an Austin light whiskey. I forget what it was. And I mixed it with a liqueur of 43, which is a very, it's a Spanish liqueur. And I put a little bit of bubbly water because that was just it, just pure liquor. And it's actually really, really nice. So I, I'm going to have to give it a name. Um, I'll come up with a name. But anyways, let's go. Cheers. Cheers to what? What are we toasting for? Uh, I'd like to toast Tim, even though he was late and, you know, delayed the podcast, uh, because we met at a conference many years ago, and it's it's nice that we were able to stay in touch and, and reconnect. So thanks for bringing us all back here. Yeah. To Tim. Yeah. To Thank Tim. So to Tim. Glad you made it. Yeah. Thank you. Glad I made it. All right. So cheers yeah. to Tim. And all right. Warm up question. So what is the wildest or weirdest thing that you have seen while stopped at a red light? You New Yorkers, so I think you have a lot yeah. of going on. Well, maybe Leah, you can kick us off because I know that, like, growing up in uh, Colorado, you had we we always discuss who's the better driver of the both of us. And, uh, I'll give it to you this time, so <laughs> <laughs> so it's on the record. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I did grow up in Colorado and I went to college in Maine and there's a lot of wildlife out there, but I, I have a memory from my days in college when I was driving and um, I saw a porcupine on the side of the road and I kind of just like started following it because it was such a novelty to me. Um, and then I actually got pulled over because I was, I was driving a bit erratically following around the porcupine and had to explain uh, that nothing strange was going on. I was just wanted a closer look. <laughs> That's a good one. How about you, Gabby? Yeah, I'm trying to think of something. I was going to, similarly, during my college years, I was driving a lot in Canada. I did my undergrad in Canada. And uh, I don't think it was ever like a moose that I saw because moose is like, it's a pretty scary thing. And it would have been a big deal. I think it was just like a big deer with antlers. And similar to Leah, like slowing down. I wasn't pulled over, but it was a little bit stressful. So, the wildlife thing, we're happy to be living in New York now, and I, I enjoy not having to deal with this, but big deer, big antlers, could have been a moose, not sure. <laughs> and go ahead, Rom, if you're there on the chat, go ahead and share with us uh, what's been the weirdest, the uh, wildest thing you've ever seen in a red light. Uh, how about you, Tim? Um, well, at a red light, um, so one time when I was stopped at a red light, um, uh, I think somebody was having a really bad and just completely lost it they like are and like took off all their clothes and was dancing in the intersection um and that caused such a ruckus people couldn't drive through because that person was blocking everything and uh that was the most bizarre thing i have ever seen in my life <laughs> uh, mine is uh i used to live in Colombia like for 10 years when i was growing up uh there's a some just some folks put a tightrope on top of the, those lights and they were just kind of just, that's how they're trying to get money, right? Just doing a tightrope on top of the cross section. Like that was crazy. That was one of the craziest things I've seen, but all right. Well, all right, let's ready for the warm up. Uh, let's go dive into our discussion. Leah, Gabby, honest, no BS. How do we put the business in charge of their own data? Cool. That's the question, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you go, go ahead. Leah's going to start us off, yeah. So I think this is the thing that has uh, driven, you know, most of our careers. It's really the problem that we've been trying to sort out and we've attacked it in, in many different ways. Just sort of by way of background, uh, I was an early employee at WeWork, got there before there was a data team and, and spent some time sort of setting up the initial data infrastructure and many versions of it, um, as well as the data team and uh, was always sort of like burdened by this gap. I was a data team of one for a while, which is like a very particular experience I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Um, and you hold all of this institutional knowledge. You sort of know how things work. You know how we're encoding business logic. Uh, and you know the value of the data that you have access to. But all of your friends scattered around the business really don't. Um, and it's a, it's a big job translating, making that accessible. Um, and, and trying to bridge the gap. Um, so we've done a few things to sort of get at that problem. And maybe Gabby can tell the story of, of when she joined WeWork um, and we sort of came up with a, a wacky plan that, that went pretty well to try to get on it. Yeah, we took it pretty far. Uh, I, so I met Leah at WeWork. I joined to lead data visualization. I was coming from more of a design background. I had been at the Washington Post most recently before that. And a lot of my career was spent designing data and creating these visual representations of things that would take months and months to deliver, uh, especially when it comes to sort of like front end data visualization pieces. And then, you know, they live for a few months, the data changes, does it actually solve a problem, does it make an impact? A lot of different minds go into creating these things. Um, so similar in, in some ways, but also a, a different perspective. And uh, when I joined WeWork, there was a culture training program that onboarded data people who were coming into the company that tried to help them solve real business problems with their data. Because one thing we've seen time and time again is data engineering teams sitting in one corner of the company doing a lot of different work to build these robust data infrastructure and pipelines and all these things. And then the rest of the company kind of living without answers to a lot of their questions and understanding that process. So our approach was to take this onboarding training program and convert it into something that anyone could access across the company and train them on thinking about how could you access the company's data to solve $10 million problems for the business. As we know, WeWork was 
bleeding more than $10 million at the time. There's a lot of different things going on there. But there was so many opportunities for us to bring in people from all different teams. And a lot of people raised their hand and wanted to be part of this program. And we started to run it on a quarterly basis. And we work as a global business and we flew around the world delivering a program, which we were calling Data Cult at the time, and then became um, kind of the foundation for our, our later companies and ways of thinking. But um, it was super hands-on and super um, in-person, as we then learned later that like those experiences would change. Um, but it brought together people from all different parts of the company to think about data. Um, and it was, it was empowering. I think it worked in many ways, but there were definitely limitations. So bringing people together um, around the data, oftentimes in person. So this ended up being a big factor in being able to um, unlock business people, kind of understanding more about their data, also owning more uh, around their data too, or did some other things kind of have to happen to, to kind of unlock that second piece? Yeah, I, I think the premise was, so before I met Gabby, and I, I give her a lot of credit for this, I, um, I've been like a grumpy data person, you know, where you're just like fielding a lot of re requests. You sort of understand how the system works and the people on the business side don't. And you can start to sort of like, I don't know, you take some pride in how you're the only person who can do things, even though that's like to your own detriment. Um, and so what Gabby really taught me is like, how do you actually build that bridge? How do you make it feel like you're inviting the business into this process with you and building sort of a community around it, as opposed to sort of saying like, it's really complicated, you wouldn't understand. And that's kind of the foundation of everything we're trying to do. So yeah, that was, that was the point of that program that, you know, that's limited in what you can accomplish in a short time. But the idea was like, let's bring you all into this process. Let's show you, you know, sort of like how data moves from our source applications to the tables that you might access to the tools that you're using to operate things and sort of teach them how to think about leveraging data. But it was really that mindset shift. Like how do you sort of put the pieces together as opposed to digging in your heels? So let's dive into this. I, what is that process? So what did Data Cult do? Because this is this, what I really like is that you guys had this real world experience of like trying to go do something from a cultural perspective, right? Not just let's go through, let's go start with technology. It's what you see all the time. You really start with the people and process and now you're getting into the tech yeah. and you don't see this, right? It's always the other way around. And this is why I'm super excited about talking to you all today. So talk, talk us through that, the process of the process <laughs> that you guys had to yeah, so it was a curriculum that we developed together that involved teaching SQL, teaching Looker, whatever data, data visualization tools, as Leah's sharing, going through the process of the data engineer, like bringing these source systems into a data warehouse and teaching people who didn't necessarily have any data background. So we brought people into the room from sales and marketing and architecture um, and gave them, you know, pulled back the curtain and shared everything that we possibly could about what it meant to get data into their hands. And the idea was also to create ambassadors across the business. So people on different teams who could reference their understanding of how things were accessed and how the data team was treating it, um, which was really successful in a lot of ways because you can get your, the word out very quickly by bringing you know, 30 people from all over this massive company into one place to go through that program. And then the end was about developing a product that solved that problem. And it's also really powerful to say to people, okay, let's build something in a few days. It can be a prototype. Maybe it'll spin off and become its own team, maybe not. That solves a really impactful problem for the business that's beyond their day-to-day. -day. Um, and allowing people who don't usually get the opportunity to be so creative, tying it back to numbers and data was super powerful. Like I think that was one of the best things that we were able to do. Um, and it's something that we've also tried to help other organizations recreate. We work at the time was also starting to buy businesses. They were buying Meetup and Flatiron School. And so we would actually help as part of the sort of M&A process is bringing them in and understanding WeWork's data, understanding their own data. Um, there was a lot of kind of opportunities there. I'll let Leah continue with, with how that was going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that sort of became the, the foundation. It was totally a grassroots thing where we just sort of saw a problem and, and ran with it. Um, and then when we work went the way that it did and Gabby and I were starting the next one, we sort of assumed that, you know, we could build these sort of programs um, in other companies as well because we had some experience. 
And what we learned actually is uh, it's really powerful to do sort of infrastructure work, data engineering work paired with that sort of change management and, and culture work. Uh, so that became sort of like the the core offering of the consultancy we started after where we would go in, we'd build a modern data stack, but uh, with the attitude of like, let's bring the business along for the journey. Let's sort of make advocates out of um, our business stakeholders instead of, you know, tense people who tolerate us and maybe don't know what's going on. Uh, so it was really finding ways to translate that philosophy into everything we do. Interesting. And so you took this kind of, curriculum that you tested and validated and made work at WeWork and then really looked to turn that into something that you could bring to other organizations and kind of have both the business and the technology people uh, riding along together on that. Um, and, and overall, like, so what was your kind of assessment? Uh, you know, was, was that indeed something that you were able to do? Like, were you able to kind of take that and, you know, copy paste that other places? Or did you have to kind of refine the model? And like, how, and if so, how did you kind of have to refine it? Yeah, definitely not a copy paste. I think, well, one interesting thing to note, we sort of assumed that in-person experiences would be a big part of what we delivered. And we started this business at the beginning of 2020. So quickly realized <laughs> that that wasn't going to be the way forward. Um, and I think we also learned a lot about how, how people sort of um, shop for data tools and for data help. There really is a mindset where you're, you're buying, you know, engineering hours and you might not identify that culture is actually the missing piece. So it's something that we say that we have to sort of like slide in there. Like, yes, we'll like build out your warehouse and we'll set up your reporting infrastructure. Um, but let's do a few things along the way to make sure that this is useful. But I'll, I'll let you expand on that, Gabby. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the short answer of all of the questions, first of all, know that we it's not totally replicable, but this problem of data-driven culture, data-driven thinking, achieving that at organizations is like definitely of case at every company we've ever talked to. People are struggling with this, whether you're at the earliest stages or the latest stages. And I think we were able to solve for it in many ways and the delivery of what we did at data culture as Lee is describing, which then transitioned into a lot of infrastructure and engineering offerings through the lens of delivering these experiences as well, or making sure that we're always empowering the people that we're working with. There was a few core philosophies, no black box systems, multidisciplinary teams, which came from this work as well and, and bringing together these ambassadors. It was successful, but the gap in terms of what we could do to solve this problem persisted, which led us to prequel, um, which is a product approach to the very same problem. Like this has really been the through line of our careers because the, the trouble with creating data-driven culture or whatever you want to call it, and everybody says that they want to create this and that they've successfully done so a lot of the time, is that one, it's hard from a technical standpoint, so you can get bogged down there for a really long time, and it's hard from the people standpoint. So We've tried, you know, to, to go about it from both sides, but what we realized was what was taking us the longest when it came to the infrastructure implementation was the data modeling part of it, was like transforming that information so that it was in the format that business users could leverage. And the process involved really strong technical expertise on the data engineering side and the business side. So prequel is the product approach to that problem, and we can talk more about it. Um, but what we did learn through the work at Data Culture, it's kind of like this gradual transition. It started out, maybe we can just solve it with the culture and the training and the people and everyone will get involved. And maybe not everyone needs to write SQL, but if everybody understood where the data was, then it would be solved. That didn't quite work. Let's try it where we manually implement the infrastructure and train people on the job. Still an offering, still exists. Go to Data Culture if you want that support. Um, as we're building prequel, we're now thinking about a product that could fit in and really change the landscape um, in order to solve this. So it continues to be a problem, but we're, we're and we're continuing to tackle it. Yeah. So I, I, I want to get into like the things, what prequel is. And I mean, we are kind of honest, no BS, right? We're, we want to get into the salesy part, but I do acknowledge that what you guys are doing is different from any other tooling out there because most of the tooling, when it comes to transforms and modeling, they're more for the technical side. And you guys are seeing like that opportunity on the, 
from the business side to go do that. I think people would be skeptical about it too, but I'd like to get into that. But before I get there, two, two things. One, you said first the data, the data modeling, right? That is something that touches me a lot and I, this is a topic I want to get into. But before that, how, do you, how did you identify the people who wanted to go part of this? I mean, were they just always open, motivated by themselves or are you trying to kind of, hey, you should participate about this. And so how did you identify the people? And second, how did you identify what were the good problems to go work on? Yeah, I think that identifying problems is sort of like the key piece of it. I think this also will resonate from people who uh, who have been that data team of one or who have been bogged down in requests. Part of it is teaching people how to frame a question uh, and sort of like produce a problem statement um, where data can actually help. So I would actually say the the most impactful thing that a data team can do on sort of the culture side is uh, like really workshopping problem statements. So people are coming to you with like interesting things that spark your creativity where like data can really play a role as opposed to like asking for CSVs, which is sometimes where people get stuck. Um, and I think on the second point, a lot of those people, if, if you've been sort of a centralized data team fielding a bunch of requests, there's some people who just want you to like send the report by tomorrow and, you know, it, but there are some people who like really want to be able to be more self-sufficient who just can't, they just, they don't understand the systems. They don't have the, the skills, but you can see that like something in them is um, getting sparked. And those are the people that you really want to empower. So instead of just sort of like delivering the thing as asked, use it as an opportunity to sort of teach them what you're doing and maybe make them your advocate so then they can describe what the process looks like when, you know, their their boss is asking for numbers, that kind of thing. So, yeah, empowering those people who, who really want to do good work with data just keep hitting these obstacles. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Like, the people that have that spark that you want to empower, um, what is that? What did that look like in practice, either from your experiences or what you kind of advocated? Was that like targeting those people, especially as like sort of VIPs through the training and enablement process? Or, you know, some companies, you know, usually slightly more established companies try to establish like data stewardship programs and things like that. Was it kind of like, oh, you're kind of a steward or like, how did that kind of look? Yeah. Yeah. Because we sort of, we knew how the data team operated, you know who your repeat customers are and, and who makes the most noise and all of that, and you develop relationships. We also had an application process, I think managers nominate, and, and the criteria was basically this, like who are the people who are taking initiative? Um, oftentimes data people can sort of look at people who are creating their own manual reporting processes as like the enemy of sort of the centralized data work that, that you're trying to produce. But you know, I think there's actually something to be said, like these are the people who really want answers to their problems and they're not being served. So instead of, you know, telling them to stop, maybe just teach them a, a different way. This reminds me a long time a while ago, we had an episode with Cindy Housen from ThoughtSpot. And I, I think I still remember one of the takeaways is, that shadow IT that we all kind of saying, oh, that's bad. We need to eliminate the shadow IT. Like, wait, there's initiative right there, right? Those folks who are doing that shadow IT, they're really trying to get a problem solved and working on it. And if they're putting that effort, there's something, I mean, there's something. So actually go find that shadow IT and empower them. Let's get that. So it kind of seems like what you're doing is an, an approach here is go find that shadow IT and saying, you know what, let's actually make this visible and actually help you to be successful. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yes. No, I mean, like, we're just agreeing on that. Exactly. And that, like, we can go into the psychology of what people want to do at work and how they want to contribute. But what we found was when given the opportunity, everybody was raising their hands. And like Leah's also describing, there was eventually an application process, but like these lists were just endless. Some of it is the stewardship ambassador type thing. And the other is like when it comes to data and understanding that data is just information, everybody's job can be done better when armed with more information. So it felt like something, I mean, everybody was interested in jumping in on um, and eventually had to be a little bit more kind of like nomination and who could really take that on. But yeah, go ahead. So, so let's get into this, the topic of data modeling, right? This is always, uh, I was actually putting on LinkedIn this morning, data modeling is an art as it is as much as a science here. And I think you, data modeling is about being able to understand the particular domain of the end user, the subject matter experts. And yeah, you need to go formalize all this stuff. 
what is this process of actually getting the data modeling done by those business users or by those end users? And like, what are the types of tech, technical kind of background that they may be lacking and how did you upskill that? I'm very curious about this. Yeah, I think data modeling is maybe the most underrated skill in all of data. I don't think it's, it's taught specifically enough. Um, it's sort of just seen as like a, a thing that you have a knack for or you don't or a byproduct of other roles that you've had. Um, but it's so fundamental. I think um, what makes it really hard is you need to have people who, you know, are technically really, really strong um, in terms of like actually writing the transformation in SQL or Python and whatever it is. But you also need to have sort of a brain for architecture, like how, how to do that efficiently. Um, and then you also need to anticipate not just the, the question that the business is asking you today, but what they're likely to ask you for the next few months. Bingo. And that's just tough to find in one person. Um, and I, I don't see it being sort of tackled head on. I think DBT obviously has given rise to the analytics engineer, which is like a really specific set of skills. Um, but often it's sort of like the surface level skills that, that people are training on. But this like big picture, how do you go from sort of the domain and the high level questions that people are asking to like an efficient transformation process and data model? It's just very hard to get right. Yeah. And that's just for people that actually appreciate and understand that this is a problem. Like what we saw also time and time again is businesses being confused why their numbers don't match and just kind of like missing that this piece is such a requirement when it comes to having a central source of truth. Everyone wants to be data driven, right? But this is an overlooked problem. Uh, and especially from like the C-suite and a lot of our partners who were bringing in the support for data, they would be like, well, why do we need to spend six to 10 months setting this up? And why do I need to pay someone this much money forevermore and this specific skill set and all of these things? Um, and getting someone to really like comprehend what the consequences are was difficult. Um, but th that goes back to kind of the business side of things, which is also why we felt there was such a gap in the market when it came to tooling that supported the people that would then be the consumers of the models and the information. Yeah, I, I just want to say that the, what you just said was so spot on, Leah, about you need to be able to go and answer the questions of today, but also be able to prepare to answer the questions of tomorrow, which you don't know what those are. And this is what I always talk about, this balance between being efficient and being resilient. I mean, we're all so focused to be efficient. Let me get this done now. So you're like, don't even think about how can I make sure this can scale tomorrow? Not even scale like in the size of the data, but just scale in like, I want to be able to go answer more questions with least amount of work that I'm doing, right? And, and I think... This is, this is, we just focus so much on being efficient. Give me now, the numbers now. I'm like, wait, let me step back and probably do a little extra work right now, but it's going to let me go answer a bunch of questions prepared for things, the, un, the, the knowns of today and the unknowns of tomorrow. So I'm really glad you're bringing this up. And I think it's even more so when, when these skills get increasingly technical, because answering the questions today even though you know it can be a fire drill and, it, and it, it's not always fun, there there's interesting problems to be solved, in, and you have to be creative. And I feel like sometimes really strong talent gets caught up in solving those problems and loses sight of of. Uh, so you're you're anticipating technical challenges and you're sort of knocking them off as you encounter them. Um, but that becomes the focus versus sort of like, what is the business actually trying to get out of this and what are they likely to come to you next with that? I think that's a rare skill. Yeah. You, you said you, you have to be creative. Um, what other skills does a, a good data modeler need to have? Yeah. Well, you need to have the people skills to partner with the business side, right? Because there are going to be limitations to what you know anyway. They're the people that truly understand how they want metrics defined, whether or not they understand the process. So to find somebody who technically is super skilled and super up to date with the best technologies, they understand DBT. There's a lot of people that write DBT, like that say that they can, few do it well. And the technical debt of doing it poorly is so significant um, we, we look, our, we have a colleague, Lauren Balick, who, uh, speaks quite frequently on this. Um, but the, and we saw that also as a, a really common thing when we were doing the work with data culture and going in and supporting engineering teams. So this combination of skill sets, which is like truly understanding 
at least the business user, if not the entire business, because as Lee is describing, it's, it's super difficult. Um, and then being highly skilled on the analytics engineering technical side, which is evolving, obviously, and is kind of its own unsolved problem, um, is what we look for. And being a strong collaborator as well, Leah, I, I'm curious what you want to add. No, I'm just thinking, I think there is sort of a certain personality type that gravitates towards this role sometimes because there's so little glory in it. <laughs> Uh, you're always blamed and you it, the yes. end user probably doesn't understand that if it was successful it was because of all of this work that sort of happens under the surface so there's a you kind of need like a purist who just loves the work for the sake of the work even though they might never get the the pat on the back yeah it's it's almost worse than data engineering because i know sometimes like data engineering you know they they have to do the plumbing but at least you can kind of see the plumbing you're like yeah. oh i see the pipe whereas a lot of the modeling work is like brain plumbing like you don't you don't even see it you know <laughs> yes yes and there's always a problem like you're never going to get it right on the first try your comment about DBT is interesting as well around like if you, you know, if you're doing DBT, like you have to actually be good at and kind of good at DBT. Um, it seems like with uh, some of the new tools, uh, even though you can do very interesting modeling, you can implement your semantic layer if that's kind of the direction you want to go. Right. Um, yet it's also easy to not do it well and just make spaghetti code and throw things at the wall. Exactly. And I think that was also fundamentally important to us when trying to create this product. And we've been in the process of, of building pretty heads down with that for a while that didn't require consultants to implement because there's a lot of tools out there that are just completely kind of non-opinionated agnostic developer tools that take many months to like learn and master. And then once you've done so, you still need so much input for them to be put in place. Segment's a really good example, actually, of like complicated developer forward and then once it's in place you still need opinions for the business of how you want to be collecting information that sort of way so what we've been trying to do with prequel is something that you can get stood up immediately and the time to value is just so much faster than a lot of what's out there but again it's a different audience um so back to dbt which has completely changed the game i think like the analytics engineering field was in some ways created by them which we're speaking about and and we love it, and it supported every project that was ever put in place by Data Culture. Um, and we consider it like a future partnership. It's just being realistic about the amount of time that's required to actually take on the learnings of the YAML files and how you set it up properly and how people can make changes down the line and not just have it. Because if you don't have somebody who can recognize the difference between spaghetti code and truly what it should look like, it's very hard for a lot of organizations. And as they're going through that growth phase between being like more of an early stage startup, we really thought it was series B a lot of the time where companies then grew into needing uh, more robust infrastructure and more robust like analytics engineering specific teams. Um, yeah. And then yeah. the need for building out a true data team and, 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 a, and a well thought through data infrastructure becomes really important at that point. Um, yeah, this is, this is interesting. And, um, you know, I, I want to quickly, uh, before we move to the, the next topic here and actually kind of bring it full circle to where we kind of all started around, around the, the business needs um, and putting the business in charge of data, um, a quick call out to um, this episode is brought to you by Data.World, the data catalog for the data mesh, a whole new paradigm for data empowerment. Learn more at Data.World. Um, and to kind of bring it back full circle, um, you know, we were asking about how do you put the business in charge of their own data? I think we've talked about like data literacy, data modeling, um, uh, around data culture, uh, the right data infrastructure. Um, ultimately, as you went through this journey with data cult and the data culture, um, you still found the need to kind of build out this tooling, uh, a solution that could actually help solve this problem more from a technology aspect, married to the other pieces. Can you talk through a little bit the story of, you know, specifically how that problem kind of came to the fore, like what really accentuated it for you, where, where the business team had this big issue? And then can you tell us also a little bit more about prequel? Like, how is that trying to solve the problem? Yeah, um, I can sort of walk through how we got here and then um, maybe Gabby can tell us about where we are now. But so we we were uh, 
doing all of this work, setting up the modern data stack for, for companies that were generally in their earlier days of um, building their data stack. And uh, so, you know, you set up Snowflake, Fivetran, all your DBT models, you set up reporting and you go through this process and we try to infuse it with as much sort of collaboration and data culture as possible. And, you know, our, our team is amazing and our analytics engineers were amazing. And, and um, but at the end of the day, we would be working with, you know, a business stakeholder. And so when we're done with our work, we're handing back, you know, a GitHub repo that handles so much core business logic that they won't be able to maintain themselves. So from a consulting perspective, kind of a good business because they need you <laughs> on an ongoing basis and there's lots of work to be done and, you know, we could manage it indefinitely. But it just sort of gave us this feeling like we're not actually really delivering the value that we want to. We're not actually empowering this person because even if you want to make one tiny modification, you know, to a, a definition or update business logic or, you know, just update a case when, they need to find this specialized skill set, analytics engineering, to make that change and then see the change sort of propagate through their reporting. So th there's just something a bit unsatisfying about that. And we became kind of obsessed with it and we were like researching and just waiting for tools to, to come onto the market that we could offer people in that position. And then unfortunately realized that, you know, it's a big one, but we're going to have to build it ourselves. Yeah, we waited for a while and we were really ready to sell it. Like we kept thinking, you know, if only this tool was out there, it would be the solution to us leaving things behind and feeling better about the projects that we were wrapping up. And we couldn't exactly build it through data culture without having a dedicated engineering team for it and one thing led to another and we started to talk more about the problem and we ended up spinning off prequel but even just looking at our engineering hours like when we were trying you know you're with the service business you're always looking at like where is the time going where are profit you know where's where's the, everything um adding up and it was the largest amount of time spent always was this process and it was the trickiest thing to do. And if we didn't have a good partner on the business side, you know, it was it would take even longer. Um, so back to that, like time to value was the reason that we kind of set things in motion. Um, and then speaking about where we are today, uh, I'm here in our offices in Union Square. So we officially started things around March, did a transition uh, around that time from data culture to prequel. Um, we have an amazing team of almost 10 um, we've got some great designers and engineers working on the problem today, and we have an MVP that is being tested by beta users, and we plan to go kind of go big and launch things uh, early in the new year. So specifically right now focused on D2C companies um, because we're, we're developing things from a verticalized approach, but it should really help all organizations ultimately. And yeah. So I'm really glad that you're sharing what you guys are doing right now. Uh, as, as I mentioned before, I think there, it's, it's this shift of what we're not seeing. Right? Today, a lot of the focus is more on the technical side. So it seems like this is the way you're describing the, the, the lack of the tool of the tech is you want to have almost like a BI tool-ish that lets the end users do what the LookML would, would do beforehand, but more from the end user, business user perspective in a kind of low-code, no-code manner. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk to data people, sometimes we describe it as kind of like a no code semantic layer. The process that we're trying to enable is uh, having the, the business user who really knows their domain, they know the metrics, they even know weirdnesses about the data because they've been doing it manually. Today, they're not empowered to sort of create and manage those metrics. You sort of take those as requirements and pass them off to a data team. Um, and that back and forth can be really tense and, and sometimes inefficient, as we've been talking about. So the idea is to empower that person where um, they can sort of construct metrics and we abstract away the process, uh, you know, any sort of underlying transformation that's required. And then it's kind of the management of that semantic layer in a no-code way. So, but all right, let's, let me play devil's advocate and honest no BS here. If, what if we would just establish the teams where you would actually bring in more of that technical, the analytics engineer or whatever, right? That would be part of a business team. And then they would be, I don't know, close to the hip right there. And then, yes, yes, I need to ask you to do this transformation code, but you're literally right there and you kind of, we, we work side by side. Like that seems to be like a possible competitor to the type of, of, of tools that you're presenting here. What's your, what's your perspective on that? 
Yeah, I think the question is, you know, does every organization need to invest in an analytics engineering organization? Does that make sense? Is that, you know, if you're a, a retail company uh, managing sort of standard metrics and you, uh, you're not necessarily a technology company, the idea that you need to go to the CTO and say, like, first, we need to hire data engineers, then we need to hire uh, analytics engineers, then analysts, then BI developers. It, 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 I don't know that that's the, the right path for everyone. And I would also say analytics engineers um, don't necessarily love the job that you're describing. I've done a lot of that where you're just sort of like fielding requests and making these small modifications to business logic. There are really fun, interesting technical problems to be solved in analytics engineering, but this sort of like short order cook thing we've heard it described as for the business can be a painful one. And we often find like the most talented people in our networks are the ones that are sort of running towards data engineering or platform engineering or anything that gets them out of the line of fire. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, but I would, that I would, my point is you would, you really, if you want to be successful, at least the point I've been making lately is if you want to be successful in your career, align with the business that figure out where this, where the money is being made, understand that. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm not saying you won't be successful in your career if you just don't do the business you focus on the tech side. But uh, if you want to get a full picture and just have a lot of career growth, I, I mean, feel like understand how businesses make the money and what's the flow. I mean, follow the money. Uh, and so, so I, I get it. Um, I wish I, I do perceive that we would that I wish we had more companies or more teams would want to go partner with the business, like I'm saying, like partner to the hip and stuff. But I get that just the culture of, oh, we're just the engineers and we go, are on our, aren't, we are on our side and stuff like that. And I yeah. think, that, I mean, different cultures, again, so again, it's not technology, it's just the cultures that you want to, that you're trying to build. Totally. Definitely. And we're data people first and foremost. So we would never want to build something that a data person wouldn't be ecstatic to inherit. Like we've all sort of gone into a company and been like, what did the business buy? And how do I rip it out? And how do I move all of this like hidden logic into something that I understand? So the idea is basic reporting just shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't require a team of like exceptionally talented people and, you know, um, state-of-the-art technology to understand the performance of your business. That's kind of the idea. But there's that's a starting point. It's just people never sort of cross that hurdle. Uh, but anyways, the way that we envision it is, you know, we've done sort of that annoying part for you where metrics are standardized, you have a source of truth. Now you can go, you know, build upon it, do more sophisticated analysis. But it, there's so much value loss because people don't get to the other side of this never-ending back and forth between the business. So if we think about it as the, the we always talk that I, I call it the data knowledge gap, right? On one side, you have the tech side, and the other side, you have the business side, right? On the tech side, you have more of the data engineers, right? On the business side, you have your analysts, the people connected to the business. You need to bridge this gap. I think the, the, I'm, I'm seeing like three ways of doing it. One, the gap is being bridged more from the technical side. The data engineers aren't doing that. But that means that they have to understand the business, and we're actually making the case that that's probably not really happening. The other part is that oh you you create the new roles of of who would somebody who would who would go into that middle gap and go into the gap, and this is probably the analytics engineer trying to fill that as a gap or the or the data product managers also too. The third approach is just saying no. The way we're going to bridge the gap is from the business. Like the business is going to take ownership of that gap and bridge that gap. So I mean that, that's how I'm kind of pulling this framework. And your position is. Yeah, the business is the one who's going to bridge that gap. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, yes. Like, our, our idea here is, like, in order for the gap to be closed, the business user needs to be empowered. That's not to say that analytics engineering shouldn't exist or that, you know, engineering and tech teams. And I think that's the same argument that you're making, which is to, to have everybody have more of a three view will benefit the bottom line, the revenue, why we're all doing this anyway. And it'll be more interesting work. But it's not that like one job is obsolete and the other is more important. I think that's what also we talk a lot about no code and whether prequels are no code or not, whatever. But that movement towards tools that solve the most kind of uninteresting, as Leah's describing parts of the problem, bring everyone closer to the business because then their time can be spent thinking about why they're actually doing the work 
versus just the latest technology that will make this thing faster or that dev tool or whatever it is. Um, so yeah. And I think that like, we're so aligned in terms of Leah, we talk about this a lot, like why we're so interested in data and why we are data people is it gives you a lens into the business. It's so interesting to look at different companies' data and that's fueled a lot of our work as well. So how do we kind of like share that? Yeah, well, just because we've been working on this problem for so long and in so many different capacities, I I think it would be silly to say that there's like a silver silver bullet for this. I think like everyone needs to, to sort of um, work on on how they can bridge the cap. And I, I think technical people moving towards the business, 100%, that's the advice I would give a thousand times over. Um, but I think maybe there are like workflows that can be improved and sort of like translation layers that can be improved just to sort of like ease the most um, fraught parts of this process. But every business is always going to be about people and process and communication and, you know, no software is going to change that. Yeah. Uh, just to, before we kind of move on to our, our lightning round and, and some of the next uh, uh, steps here, uh, I really want to kind of hone in on what I'm, I'm thinking I'm seeing as some of the value here of, of something of this layer that you're talking about. And, and Gabby and Le- Leah, you know, let me know if I'm, I'm getting it wrong here. But like, uh, I think about like recently, I saw that post from DBT. Uh, where, um, uh, you know, they were saying, hey, like, this is what DBT looks like for DBT. And it was like kind of showing off their own use of it internally. Um, And I think that they showed off that like they had 700 models or something like that. And I was like, holy cow, like this is not, is is this good or bad? I think it might be bad, right? Um, And and so I'm wondering if like one of the values that you're looking at here, you know, to your point around streamlining workflows, is it like, hey, we're, we're like, like if you're committed to the semantic layer, great. But like what's going to happen is things are going to sprawl. Things are going to get complicated. Um, ultimately, the business user is always going to be asking the analytics engineer for help or whatever, right? Um, to, to model that metric just a little differently. And now there's model 701, right? Is, is the goal kind of here like let's, let's really minimize the sprawl, empower the business user? Is that kind of a, a, another angle at looking at this or do I have that a little bit wrong? Yeah, I I think that's right. I think sprawl happens when um, you don't sort of have alignment from the beginning on like a a few core things and then everyone sort of comes up with their own approach and then you've got like many different implementations of sort of overlapping things or that's one thing that contributes at least. Um, So I think, you know, and there's so much analysis you can do and there's many different ways you might want to structure your data in in a high growth org. Um, but there are some things that I think we should be able to figure out and that's, you know, aligning on performance metrics, knowing how they're defined, knowing how to customize them, knowing how to sort of integrate new data sources, you know, without sort of breaking all of your reporting, that kind of thing. Um, and I feel like that gives you a way to tackle the hard stuff because what I've observed is every time you think you've like gotten through you know, the the data trust issue and the basic reporting issue, you find that you have to return to it because somewhere that cycle got broken. So the idea is like, maybe we can ease that part of the process and be more deliberate in what we build after that. Yeah, if, I, if you look at the landscape, which is so crazy how many different tens of tools, right? 40, 50, 60 tools, right? You see all these companies are these transform tools, right? Now the metrics layer and all these things, what I'm perceiving is like you really want to have the type of like a transform metric semantic tool all together, but whose audience is going to be more on the business side. And that's your approach. Over yeah. This. yeah, I don't yeah. think business users care one way or the other semantically or what you use for ETL or ELT. You know, what they care about is like, can they consume metrics that they trust? Um, and I think our, you know, hypothesis here is that they'll, they'll be able to consume metrics that they trust if they're empowered to sort of own business logic in a way that they can't today because they have to translate it to this other audience. Yeah, and I think just one more thing on what you were saying, Tim, about all the models. It's like you're referencing what, like, what metrics matter, and like that was also a big part of our thinking and our work around the def- like the definitions and data models people tend to care about the same metrics. Some people, sometimes metrics that seem really important are actually like the worst things to be looking at. And maybe that's one of them. 
Um, but some sort of standardization there would save a lot of people a lot of time. And like that kind of came from this work as well. So how do we direct people and get them thinking about, get analytics engineers working on the problems they really care about, get the business people thinking about the problems that are most pressing and can have a real impact and then putting that, that power in their hands. Yeah. Time flies. Uh, I have so much stuff I want to dig into this. We need to go to our lightning round side, but I mean, I, I think there's still conversation to be had to understand kind of where is the, where is the work going to go between the data engineer, the analytics engineer, or like the middle of the gap called analytics, or whatever, and the business side. Right. I think, but as you said, there's not a silver bullet. It's like, here's the pattern to go do it. it it's going to depend on the size of the company, the industry, the, the culture and so forth. I think it's a fascinating discussion and, and, and there's no right or wrong answer here. So uh, with that, uh, I told you, we've been talking for 50 minutes. We can keep talking for another hour at least. <laughs> so, all right, let's move to our lightning round, uh, which is presented by data.world, the data catalog for your successful cloud migration. And I'm going to kick it off. Question number one, is the rise of the analytics engineer helping the goal of good data modeling or is it actually kind of harming it? Whew. What a question. <laughs> Honest, no BS. I'm, I'm going to say this. Oh, yeah, okay. Is that Leah fine? Go ahead. Leah says both. Leah says both. both. It's like, it's great that it's more accessible. And I think over time that, you know, will sort of standardize and create best practices and all of that. But, but right now, I think it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, I think that's like, I was going to say yes, because even though right now it's a bit of a mess, it's curving, like it is shedding light on the problem and that takes us in the direction where we can actually solve it. So even though like ultimately right now might be a no, it is at least bringing attention to this problem. And I have a big issue with this being an overlooked problem. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah I think I like that perspective. It's like uh, we're shedding light on it and and as part of that, maybe it has to get a little worse before it gets better. Exactly. Um, interesting. So second question, can technology eventually, so pretty open-ended here, can technology eventually solve the data culture problem? Well, we're kind of banking on it right now, but um, <laughs> other, like if we weren't working, I think technology needs to improve in order to like solve this problem. But our work has always been about thinking beyond that. So even with our product, like it's not just going to be the product that solves the problem. It's going to be everybody that works on our team and touches the pro, you know. So I kind of want to say no, but <laughs> go ahead, Lee. Yeah, I think uh, if technology can be really focused on helping people achieve like really specific things, like uh, this is like a human problem that we're tackling, which is like why it's so tricky. Um, and so the idea is just to like make that process better and make it more efficient, but you still need the minds to like really think about how they want to measure things. Uh, so I don't know, I'm being, I'm saying yes and no to, to all of these things, but. <laughs> great, great right. response. I, it's, it's, I don't know that there's a good answer to that, right? It's a, it's a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Next question. So will we get to the point in the next, let's say five, 10 years where the business users, the analytics end users, they become the people who actually build the data modeling in that semantic layer? Yes, 100%. I believe that. I think that whether the business user is a data analyst and someone with like some data experience, I think like the modern data stack is moving to a place that anyone could set it up. I think it's already going like close to that direction. That's not to say engineers won't exist it's just can you set up a full data infrastructure without requiring like extensive knowledge on any given technology i really hope so yeah i'm with you i hope so now will we get there yeah but no we, we, anything we, to add there? we better damn get there <laughs> yeah i'm like we better exactly I mean, yes, I think these things, they move closer to the business. That was, uh, that's sort of been, that's how data engineering has gone. I think that's how analytics engineering will go as well. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like the flip side of that question is, is data engineering going away? And the answer would be no, it's not going away. Um, all right. Last question here. Um, uh, we talked about the semantic layer towards the end of our conversation today. Uh, and y'all are kind of, I think, in this space or at least dancing around it. Um, is business intelligence, is BI the killer app of the semantic layer? 
the killer app, meaning the, the thing that kills it or the thing that's killer? The thing yeah. that's killing. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited to see how BI um, uh, starts integrating with the semantic layer. I think like uh, what we talk about a lot is like Tableau was like built for a totally different data infrastructure. And most BI tools are about manipulating columns and rows. And I think a new generation of really interesting tools will be built on the semantic layer or the semantic layer won't work for the reason that it's not compatible enough with BI. Mm. Gavin, yeah, I think you that, there? yeah, like I spent so much of my career talking about data visualization and different ways that you can build a chart that will solve a problem, you know, and I think like a lot of the work that has led Lee and I to this moment of prequel has come from dissatisfaction on the BI side. And we didn't want to go out there and like start, you know, building in the next looker. We felt like that wasn't the right way to start tackling the problem. Semantic layer is the first step. And I'm under the belief that like a new type of BI solution will come about and it will, the semantic layer plus that is going to solve the problem versus being killed by uh, a crappy bi tool which is any yeah bi tools are very limited so yeah hopefully I, I we can go beyond i love the way you're thinking about this and uh you know i i implemented looker at my previous job and i've always been like very fascinated and also slightly terrified of the lookml layer and been like wow like this whole semantic layer is great like i mean they really pioneered it but then i was like man you gotta like learn this whole new language and stuff like that yeah. so i i i love i love where this is all going and and certainly think that you know the world of bi is going to change here and i'm excited that y'all are, are trying to help it change yeah i'm i'm, I'm with you on this this is uh my freaking phd over a decade ago was exactly on building these semantic layers i better freaking work otherwise i kind of wasted my part of a big chunk of my career but, uh, so 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 yeah <laughs> all right well no we're totally aligned on the business needs to be involved and let's get the semantics the knowledge in here uh i really appreciate this conversation and with that t t t tim take us away with takeaways you go first all right so this has been an amazing conversation time truly flies um, we started off by kind of saying that there's this huge job to translate for the company if you have knowledge about the data as well as like, how, you know, the problems that need to be solved and connecting that all together it's, and it, that it's a really huge job. Uh, and that at WeWork, y'all had the opportunity to try to bridge that gap uh, in, in a variety of different ways. Uh, and one of the foremost things was really developing this curriculum and this training approach to being able to, to try to, to solve that gap. Um, you know, onboarding uh, people, helping train them on data tools, on data culture. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, it, it was so successful at, at WeWork that you really took that methodology, that curriculum to other companies. Um, and this is like all around this whole data culture process, right? You have to learn modern tooling, implement a, a, a modern approach to data, um, you know, find and create ambassadors in the business, uh, people that you can really leverage as your, your you know, centers of knowledge, your reference, um, really evangelize, get the word out, bring in people from across the business, um, try to iterate quickly, build something in a few days, uh, let people who don't normally have the opportunity to be so creative get to be creative with data. So I think there's a ton of really good thoughts around and approaches around how to build that data culture and bridge that gap uh, between the business as well as the data folks. Um, but um, I think interestingly, you talked also a little bit about the challenges of implementing that at various companies. Like, for example, um, you thought that in-person training was going to be very important. And unfortunately, the pandemic happened. It's like, well, it's going to be remote first, right? Um, and uh, also companies kind of falling into this trap of being infatuated with the engineering piece and not as much the culture piece. Um, and so it's like, well, how about we just have the data engineering and we don't really need the data culture piece. And it's like, well, well you know, our company's named after it. So um, like, hey, how about we just include it in some of these other packages? So I thought it was interesting to, to hear about some of the story there. Um, and ultimately, you know, as you went through this journey more from the, the services and consulting side, it kind of led to prequel, which I think uh, Juan will go into here in a second. So Juan, I'll pass it to you. What, are, what were your takeaways? Yeah, so a couple here. Um, what can the data team do to impact the data culture, right? And I think uh, you, you talked about being able to 
get the people together and produce problem statements. I really like this. Go workshop problem statements because it, it's sometimes you think it's kind of so obvious, but let's get people together saying, is this truly the problem that we're trying to go solve? Are you able to go write it down? I really like that. Um, people that really want to go solve that problem, go identify those. Who are the people who have that spark? You want to go empower them. Who are those people who are, who are repeat customers of data? Those are the folks that you want to be able to go bring them in so they can impact that data culture. Uh, hey, the managers will know, right? They're the ones who are going to nominate. They're the ones who know who are the people who are taking initiative. We brought up, find that shadow IT and empower them. So those are the people you want to be able to go bring in to impact your data culture. We talked about data modeling, how that's the hardest part. And you said data modeling is most one of the most underrated skills in data. It's not taught enough. And, and what are the kind of other skills, right? You have to be creative, but what other skills do we need? People skills, not just the tech skills. Uh, the kind of person who sees a problem asked once and thinks, hey, I think this is a problem that is going to be asked again and again. We should optimize for this, right? So what are those questions that you need to answer today? And you can also figure out what are those questions that can probably be asked tomorrow that you may not know. So how are we going to balance those things? Uh, you didn't, somebody, you, you mentioned about, Hey, if you're doing DBT, you actually have to be really good at doing DBT because otherwise you're going to be generating this big sprawl things. And then kind of closing up to like the tools for the business, which is to kind of close entire circle here is uh, ideal tools for the business is that you don't need consultants to go implement them. Right. And one of the big problems right now is that if you like need to change any type of definition, you need to go have those uh, technical folks who have specialized skill sets to go do that. And you spend so much time on that, on those transforms. So the ideal scenarios, what you guys are envisioning here is a, like a no-code semantic layer where the business users really know the domain and they're empowered to go build and manage their own metrics. Um, I think you said something really great. And it's on the 45-minute mark. Technical people need to get into the business. That's the advice you would give a thousand times that you said that. Uh, and we really need to be able to go minimize that sprawl. Um, and at the end of the day, business users, they want to be able to consume metrics that they can trust. And they can if they own their own business logic. Um, how did we do for takeaways? Anything we missed? Thank you, Neil. We're going to rest. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll throw it back to uh, three questions to both of you. What's your advice about data, about life? Who should we invite next? And uh, what resources do you follow? Um, okay, Gabby, you think about who to invite. Um, I got, I, it, so I got it. Okay. Uh, my advice, we also, we teach a lot of young people, um, when we have the opportunity, which is really the, the favorite thing that we've been able to do in our careers. But my advice is always just follow your curiosity. The, these technical skills are ways of being better at whatever you want to do. Um, but it's often, you know, a, a means of, of solving a problem. It's not sort of the goal in and of itself. So any problem that's exciting to you, learn the skills, you'll be motivated to learn the skills that that you need in order to solve them. Yeah, no, totally echo that and just gives me more ideas of people we should invite. Some of our young scholars uh, who did our data science would be amazing. Like yeah. bringing more voices into the space of data science and engineering has been super important to us from the beginning and felt like a responsibility in being a part of this world. Um, so yeah, we have always been telling. And, and the fact that data touches everything. So there are so many ways that you can bring your personal passions into the work and we've also started companies for the purpose of letting people bring them for like their full selves to work and that sort of thing so even though we're working in data we're trying to do a little bit more than that and, and make more of an impact um what was the next question oh resource you think it's, okay cool i'll give who they should have on and then you think of resources because you're the the big reader of the two of us but still um <laughs> the first person i thought of was um, an amazing woman called Reese Berkwit, who leads uh, data strategy at Data Culture. She was previously at Segment, has a really interesting perspective on the problem and works with a lot of our clients. Uh, she works closely with uh, Neil Oliver, who you should also bring on. The two of them are an amazing dream team group. Um, and then there's a young person, Anam Ahmed, who is would be delightful on this podcast. And she is going on to study data science at Barnard College um, and is a Code with Classy alumnus that um, we know very well. Gabby, um, also some uh, amazing data viz people. Who should they bring on from that world? You could. So, I, I mean, I always reference Georgia Lupi. I think she's a really interesting kind of person of the time, a little bit different from the two that I brought, just thought of. Um, 
And the data visualization community, Marisa Asari is also an amazing person from the data viz community. Who's the, I graduated from Parsons data viz program. So there's a ton of people from that program. So I can send you lists and lists of data viz people from there. But if you can get Georgia to come on, she's got a really interesting take on like smaller data sets and day-to-day data. Like she's done a lot of work around like her life in a day and kind of drawing that out. And I think when we talk about BI tools in the future, it's got to be a blend of some of that more innovative artistic data viz um, and, and the stuff that we're seeing come out of Looker, which I think is now being sunset by Google. But anyway, Leah, resources. Uh, resources. I don't actually know how I get the information that I get, but I, I read everything. I guess uh, being in all of the slacks. Wow, wow. sorry. I realized my, the, the day has changed, so now I have no light on my face. Sorry. Um, the DBT Slack, Locally Optimistic, any Slack channel where data people gather. We actually have employees in Austin now, and we've heard that there's like an amazing data community there. So, um, yeah. And I, I don't know. Data Twitter is a lot for me, but there is good stuff there. Stay away from data Twitter. It's just, whew. no, I mean, it's interesting, but it's, well. Um, no, but I, the, the point of that is, um, uh, self, like people just posting things is actually one of the best ways, like not necessarily turning to like a single voice in a book or whatever it is, I think has been really interesting for us. And then those live updates, data culture has its own Slack channel as well. So that's a good place to go. Not that this is a salesy thing. So much information this last couple of minutes. Yeah. On, on I know, I'm curiously typing Oh yeah, you here. can get us going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to invite I, you back on our podcast next time. So this is just love it. Love it. All right. Awesome. This is awesome. I mean, we have had an amazing conversation. Uh, we've passed the hour mark. So this is always a great sign. Um, quickly next week, we have Dan Bennett, who is the chief data officer of S and P global commodity insights. Uh, we'll be talking about the need for more semantics, uh, especially in all the database vendors. So that's going to be a fun conversation uh, next week. And also information, we're going to be live, doing a live broadcast of our podcast at DGIQ, the Data Governance and Information Quality Conference in Washington, D.C., live Wednesday, December 7th at 4 p.m. Central. We're doing that live at the conference. Uh, if you're going to be in D.C., let us know. Reach, us, reach out to us uh, because we're going to organize a happy hour after podcast event and stuff. So let us know. And with that, Gabby, Leah, thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. As always, thanks to Data Our World who lets us do this every week. Um, cheers. Have a great one. And, uh, cheers, Gabby. Cheers. 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 Try your beer. How's cheers, it beer now? This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.